Amen. Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. My name's Justin, one of the elders here, and I am going to make a bold claim this morning. This will be the greatest sermon I've preached all year. Guaranteed. Simultaneously, it will be the worst sermon that I've preached all year, so we'll see how that goes. Um, we're glad you're with us. We're actually going to take a, a one week and do a standalone sermon today, uh, talking about what it means to follow Jesus in the workplace, uh, on the job. Uh, and then next week we'll resume our study uh, through the book of Ephesians. If you haven't been with us, we're studying that uh, verse by verse, and we'll pick it back up at the beginning of chapter 4 uh, next week. Uh, but we're looking at work today, and um, this, in 2021, they, they, uh, they did a study to show that the average hours worked in the United States of America was 38.7. Now, that's a pretty average work week, right? Men, it was a little bit higher, women a little bit lower, but right around that, that, eight, that uh, average, which if you think about the time throughout our day, how many of you think about for yourself? How many of you like your job? Maybe you, maybe you love your job. Maybe you are meh about your job, and maybe you hate your job. We are all over the place, but even beyond how we feel about our job, maybe the bigger question is we zoom back out and go, what is the point of my job? Like, what is the purpose of work? As Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes, and he said, meaningless, meaningless, right? Vanity of vanities. A chasing of the wind is all things. And he pursued grand projects as a king and his work, and he saw a vanity to do those things under the sun. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. That, that at best you say, I, I don't understand why I have to work, but I know I can make some money. As the song says, everybody's working for the weekends, right? I can make some money so that I can do the thing that I really don't want to do, uh, that I do want to do, not work, right? Now, there are a lot of considerations we come in this morning. Uh, all of us are in different places with our jobs. We have, in Alaska, we have a lot of slope work, a lot of shift work. And so that creates unique challenges where we're gone from our ha- homes half of the time or even more some of the time. Um, and, and some of us, it, we have seasonal work where we, we, we have a l- we're really busy in the summers because of our job. And then in the winter, we find ourselves with a lot more time on our hands. For some of us, uh, we might, we might un- currently, we're still chasing after the dream job or maybe what we went to school to actually be able to do. Uh, maybe you like your job, but you cannot stand your boss. Uh, any of my staff here? Uh, maybe you don't like one of your coworkers. Uh, maybe you find yourself bored at work, unfulfilled. Uh, maybe you find yourself unemployed or challenges around unemployment. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and say, what does this season look like for me? It can be really hard, really lonely. What about students? who feel like they're, they're, you know, they're in, they're, many of them don't like it a little bit, rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. And I love that in this screen era, we still have so many kids that are playing with Legos. And you see these big totes coming out, and kids just pulling pieces out of these totes and building, creating, uh, using their hands and their brains. Uh, I'm excited for the day when Lucy can engage with Legos in more than a choking hazard, which is kind of the season we're in uh, right now. Um, but as we look, I want us to look at the big story of the Bible, but I want to do it using uh, Legos as an analogy here. So looking at creation, in the beginning, God creates the world, and he calls it good. And, and he creates all things, but just like God took order, uh, chaos and made it order in the creation story, he sent Adam and Eve and then humanity to go into the world and, and to do likewise. He said to fill the world, rule and subdue it. So if we think of Legos as the raw material of the earth. 
He said, go into Eden and then from, the rest of, from Eden make the rest of the world Eden-like. And essentially he said, make the good pieces that I've created. I want you to build with those. I want you to bring order and meaning to this world that I've created. But we know how the story goes, right? Sin enters into the world and it warps all the good things that God made. Sin brings curse into the world, including our work. So you think of work today like those warped pieces of Lego that the dog chewed on, right? That Lucy chewed on, that, that they, they, these pieces are broken and gnarled. And in fact, we couldn't piece them back together if we wanted to. This is what sin does to all things in the world today, including work. And that's why we find in our jobs today inefficiency, that's why people cheat and steal at work. That's why employers exploit employees. That's why we fight with coworkers. All of those problems stem back to the garden. But we know the good news, that God had a plan, and that, that he sent Jesus into the world, and through the finished work of Jesus, the risen king, through the, the, the cross and the empty tomb, he is now bringing order back to our sinful, chaotic world. I love what Ephesians 1 says about Jesus. God's plan for the right time was to bring everything together. That word meant to align, to bring it into its right place in Christ, both things in heaven and things uh, on earth in him. And so we think of, again, with these Legos, what Jesus has done. As we begin 2023 today, I want us to ask the question, how do we bring a little bit of order into the chaos of the corner of the world that God has us in? In our workplace, how do we piece a few Legos together to bring wholeness, shalom here on earth? I want us to consider how we use the biggest slice of our time pie chart for the glory of our God, for the good of the people around us, and for our growth as apprentices, as disciples of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to look at God's plan for work, we're going to look at our problem with work, and then finally, Christ's provision. So let's first look at this, God's plan. Um, if you have your, uh, your uh, bulletins, there's some fill-in-the-blanks there if you could follow along. Um, also, there's some of the outline here and some of the quotes I'll be using came from a David Platt sermon from years ago. I just want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, God delights in his work. I love Psalm 104. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord, it says, rejoice in his works. It says, the psalmist says, God has, finds joy in working. Not only does our God make good things, he finds goodness and rejoicing in making, in creating. And therefore, that God who delights in work, the second point would be that God made us to delight in work as well. That's his image bearers. You go back to page one of the Bible. Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, bear fruit, right, that's work, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Take ownership, take care of it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So he says, go out into this world, fill it multiply, rule and subdue. Those are words of, of dominion, but, but, but of, of care, of, of, of a job. And then more specifically in the garden, God tells Adam, the Lord took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to watch over it. He gives him a job. Now, now notice here that God puts humans on the planet to work. And despite some, some opinions, work actually comes before the fall, right? Right? Work is not a 
product of the fall. It's a product, I don't name names, but there were a couple of people who looked suspiciously like my nieces. Um, they came into my office and they started playing with my office slinky. Uh, you guys have an office slinky, don't you? Yeah, that's normal. So they start playing with it, and what happens inevitably is it starts to get all twisted up, right? It starts to get tangled. And if, have you ever tried to untangle a slinky? It's easier to solve world peace, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm trying to bring, or, and I work at it, I work at it, I work at it. That's why you'll find this sermon is really bad this week, because I spent hours on the slinky instead. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm here to tell you, I got the slinky untangled. And when I stepped back and looked at my work, I saw that it was good. It was satisfying, right? Now, to be real, this is actually what the slinky looks like now. You know how it never goes all the way back? But I got it untangled. That's the point. And I locked my nieces out of my office from this point forward. But um, God has designed us. He's hardwired us like him himself to do good work and then to step back and say, it is good. And this is how we were designed. I would say it this way. We glorify God, which is the purpose of our lives, right? That's why we're put on this earth, to glorify God. When we work like our God works. So as his image bearers, we echo him. We point back to him, the worker, the creator, in the way that we work, in the way that we create. And so this means, and this is important, when we think about discipleship at work, this means more than just witnessing at work. Now, that's a part of it, right? We're to make disciples, and there's opportunity at work. But what our argument today is that this is more than just slipping gospel tracts in our coworkers' lunchboxes. This is actually the work that we do can glorify God. And Adam, he was given a job, right, a gardener. So he took the, the raw materials of the garden and he created, he cultivated. And this is really what Tim Keller says is the definition of work. Keller says work is taking the raw material of creation and developing it for the sake of others. You take the raw materials of this world and we develop it for the sake of others. He goes on to job. How can you order some Legos? Take the raw materials that God has gifted you with, given you opportunity with, to bring order to this world's chaos for his glory and for the good of others. That's our purpose. That's the design. But as we know, when sin entered in the world, it all took a left turn. Let's look at the problem we have through the fall. Now, out of, out of, after Adam and Eve sinned, disobeyed, distrusted God, Genesis 3, God, God tells them what, what the fallout will be. And one of them, in verse 17, he said, The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. One of the consequences of sin was that work became frustrating, wouldn't always be fulfilling, that the warped pieces of Lego would not always be able to fit together. Now, understand here, work is not a consequence of the fall, right? We already made that argument. Our toil, the fact that it will become painful labor is a result. Sin caused work to become work. And we can all attest to that, right? We, we all have been frustrated at work. I mean, you saw my slinky. I get it, right? But what, we want to look at two areas in particular where as fallen, toiling workers, we might need to adjust our perspective when it comes to work. One of them is relativity versus reality. We live in a world, a world of relativity, that tells us, you know, whatever works for you works for you. Whatever you feel is right is right. And this carries over into our job. If work wherever you want to work. Work however hard you want to work and just do whatever fulfills you. 
But the Bible says there is a reality. There is a standard for what is good work and what is not good work. And I am not the standard bearer. My God is. So the question is, what does God say in his word is good work? And what does he say is bad work? Two things. The first one is good work is wholehearted work for the Lord. Wholehearted work for the Lord. Colossians 3, Paul teaches this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in every respect. Not only when they are working, like those who are strictly people pleasers, I can, I can relate to that, but with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. No difficulty at work, right? So we're called here. He says to work wholeheartedly. He said, you see, he said work with enthusiasm. Like to work for the Lord. Everything we should do should be done as unto the Lord. Whether we're cutting hair, shoveling dirt, whether we're answering a phone, going to school, whether we're changing a diaper, we do it for the Lord wholeheartedly, sincerely, with enthusiasm. But the second thing here is that we do wholehearted work for others. We do it for the Lord, but we also do it for others. The word sincere, do it with a sincere heart, that word means generous, thinking about others. It's not self-seeking, it's not hypocritical. It's wholehearted, one purpose. And we know, the Bible teaches, we cannot love God without loving other people. Therefore, we cannot work for God without working for people. Now, we just said we're not working to please other people for their approval, but that actually frees us up to work for their benefit, to be a generous blessing. And I think one of the reasons that we're so often miserable at our work is because we're making it all about ourselves. And that will inevitably lead us to a bitter, lonely island. Dorothy Sayers, uh, she, was, she was talking along these lines, and I like what she had to say. She had the habit of thinking of work as something one does to get money and position, right? So just simply what I can get out of it is so ingrained in us that we scarcely imagine what would happen if we begin to think about work otherwise. She says, in some ways, we don't even have any other categories for why we would work. Then she goes on to say, people become doctors these days, and this is a generalization, of course, not primarily to relieve suffering, but to bring their family up in the world. Now, what she's saying, is it wrong to work to be able to provide for our family? Of course not. But what she's saying is that oftentimes we're missing the bigger picture, that our vocation itself can be done for the good of the people around us, to bring healing and wholeness in this case, not just for my own money and to raise my own family. So be, people become lawyers, not necessarily because they have a passion for justice, but to bring their family up in the world. Same thing. But she says there was a cool time in our nation's history where we were able to kind of step out of what I'm doing. Whether I'm returning a phone call promptly and kindly for the sake of that person and their flourishing, I'm driving a nail well to provide a, a good building for people to dwell in, or I'm teaching excellently, and how can I can raise up the next generation for our society? Like, how can I, in my own little way, in this own little corner, put a brick in the right place for peace on earth to the glory of God? Now, another area that we can struggle in is these two extremes of what I would call idleness and idleness. Idleness and idleness. The first one, idolatry. So oftentimes, and this is easy to do because we work a lot, and it's, easy, it's central to who we are, that a lot of times we can look to our work for identity, for meaning, or as an object of devotion. And we can elevate our vocation above everything else, our families, our, our, our God, our, our, ch- our church body, right? 
And we, and we know where this leads, right? And we, we see that the amount of workaholics in our world today, the addiction that comes out of this, right? We can be addicted to busyness. Like I always say, when you ask somebody, how are they doing? Nine and a half times out of ten, what's the answer? Busy, 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 right? We're all busy. But I think part of that, I'm not ascribing motive to all of that, but a lot of times we're addicted to busyness because we, we don't want to slow down and face the reality of our lives, what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our, on our minds and our emotions before our God. It's kind of that slamming our head against a wall because if we stop, then we're going we're gonna to feel the pain. We can be addicted to busyness. We can also be addicted to productivity. That how easy it is to define ourselves by how we're producing. That other people would approve of me and affirm me. That I would feel good about myself. And even a lot of times we integrate that into our relationship with God. That if I'm a good enough worker, I fall into that all the time. Even, even in my job as a preacher, right? If, 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 I'm, if I preached a good sermon, God's happy with me. If I preached a bad sermon, he's really mad at me. And we take that little garden that God has given us to cultivate and we turn it into a God itself. And the gifts that God has given us are too weary to bring it to his mouth. <laughs> like, so this guy is so lazy. Not only did he not take the time to get a spoon, right? Hand in the bowl, and now he's like, eh, I'm good, right? And won't even pull it up to feed himself, right? It's painting an extreme picture of laziness. Now, I want to be careful here. Because there are those in our body who are facing hard things at work. Maybe somebody, and I know people in our body, right? Recently losing their job. Maybe somebody on the cusp of losing their job. Maybe a disability or something keeping you outside of your control from doing your job the way you want to do it. Maybe you find yourself working three jobs that are, that are not fun and glorious just to make ends meet as a single parent. I'm not trying to browbeat anybody for laziness where the spirit is not convicting in that. So please hear me. But a lot of us are experiencing laziness at work. And for some, this means not working, right? That you're avoiding work, right? You're, you're, you know, if you're 45 years old and eating punch bowls of, of cereal in your parents' basement, it's, it's time to take a step in a different direction, okay? And, and, and maybe for some of us, we're working workman's comp in a way that, that is not really that, with, with much integrity. But for more of us, I think the problem is not that we're not working. We're putting in the hours, but we're not working. Right? We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're working with apathy. We're seeing it as a means to an end. I'm collecting a paycheck, but I'm not actually working hard. I'm not actually putting my all into it. And I'm complaining and I'm grumbling. I'm discontent. I am ungrateful. And in that, we're disobeying what, what we were called to in Colossians 3, to work wholeheartedly with sincere hearts before the Lord with enthusiasm. I don't know where you are in, in, that, in those areas. Let the Holy Spirit convict you in that directly. But for all of us, let's turn our gaze onto how the gospel speaks into the sin fracturing of our jobs. Let's look at what Christ has provided. Jesus himself did the most important work ever when he died on the cross and rose again through an empty tomb. And let's look at what that accomplishes for us in view of our jobs. Let's not make an improper secular spiritual divide there. I am accepted as a child of God now and forever because of Christ's finished work, not my work. Amen? And what this offers us is rest from our labor. I love what Ephesians 4, or Hebrews 4 
says about this, for all who have entered into God's rest has re have rested from their labors. Now, that doesn't mean you can quit your job. That's not what it's saying. We can rest from our laboring, our attempts, trying to earn God's favor or love or acceptance or, or approval here on earth or validate ourselves. Jesus has already given us all the affirmation and validation and acceptance that we could ever have. Just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. Or I love some translations give us the paradox. Let us therefore labor into rest. Say Jesus has done it all. Paid it all. So I am free to rest in his work. The, the second thing we see is Christ's work has secured our satisfaction. Our satisfaction. And this frees us from making work an idol. Philippians 3, Paul speaks into this. Yes, he says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, when I compare everything else in my life to Jesus, like you can have it all. As long as I have Jesus, that's all that I need. And, and, and if I, I, this means I no longer have to look to my job to satisfy me. Because Jesus is my meaning. Jesus is my joy. I love what Greg Gilbert says about this. Christ's work pro provides an anchor for your soul. Maybe you're here this morning and you need an anchor for your soul. Let Christ be that anchor. He says, without it, it's inevitable that you'll be blown around like a leaf by the winds of stock market gyrations, temporary successes and failures, performance reports, bosses who do or don't treat you well, and your own desires, whether they are met or not. But Christ saves you to be free from that kind of a life. If I see my God as a, jo as a, as a God, if I look at it as my Savior, then it will consume me. There's life beyond the sun. And we can actually infuse meaning into every moment of everything we do, including our jobs. See, Christ is coming back. And we said he's in the process of healing these individual broken Lego pieces. And you and I are invited into this glorious process with King Jesus to usher in his kingdom and to bring wholeness to a broken world. And that's why Paul could say in Ephesians 2 that we read a few weeks back, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, for good works. Just like our God works and says that it's good. Productive work, satisfying work, work that matters, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. This frees us from laziness or idleness. There's work to get after, to sweat, to bleed, to work Hard knowing that you and I today, tomorrow, Monday morning can do kingdom impacting eternal work for the Lord. And this leads us to our final point, a foretaste of glory divine, a foretaste of glory divine. God made us. He made us to go into the world. He said, be fruitful and multiply, rule and subdue, fill the earth. But what's interesting, the call was to, to be fruitful. What does that mean? To have children, right? To populate the earth. And then to work it, to rule and subdue. What's interesting is the two main curses that come as a result of the fall are what we would call impediments to this call. They, they, they make it harder to do the very things that God had called us to do in the blessing. So we find labor for the woman in childbearing, right? Which Jill and I experienced nine months. Well, not Jill and I. She experienced it. I was right there holding her hand nine months ago. Uh, and also labor in work, that the toil of working the ground. He says the ground's going to push back. Work's going to be hard of all, all kinds. 
Now, what I think is cool is, is in this curse, I believe there are some grace notes that we can hear in the minor keys. That in a lot of ways, I wonder if God, God in this curse is reminding us, man, this isn't home. Like, this is not how things should be and not how things one day will be. And when it's hard to work and when it's hard to reproduce, it reminds me crying will no longer be heard in her. The curse will be reversed. No more pain, no more sorrow, right? People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. There's going to be work happening here. We're planting, we're building. My chosen ones will enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. What a beautiful picture. When God is with us, when Jesus brings his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll be able to work without any selfishness, any fear, or any pain. And this idea, when you imagine a city, again, we're not just singing praise songs on repeat. We're going to live in a city. Again, to go with our Lego analogy, here's somebody who had way too much time on their hands and way too much money uh, to waste on Legos. And they built this enormous, cool-looking city. But we, there's this day coming. We're going to live in a society that is ruled by King Jesus. And what an amazing day that's going to be where we can work and play and build and explore, but without the effects of sin, that we're going to be able to have satisfying work and we're all going to only be concerned with enthusiastically glorifying God with every single thing that we do. I can't wait for that day. And in the, in the meantime, we are called to show the world a foretaste of this glory, a foretaste of Jesus' coming kingdom. It's not here yet, right? But it's in process. Um, you've been to Costco, and they'll give you a sample, right? When you go up to Anchorage, uh, they give you a, a foretaste of the glory that can be yours for $29.99, right? But you just eat the free sample and leave. I, I know you, right? Uh, so we, and, and me, uh, so we, we have a foretaste. I follow Jill around in the kitchen, right, all the time. A couple of Lego pieces that God has given me and piece them together to give the world a foretaste of the coming kingdom. That it land the plane here. John Piper, he gives us nine kind of practical ways to consider this. And so what I'd ask of you is, as we're re- I'm going to fly through this list, but think about in your space right now, maybe what's a, an application or two that you could take in to your workspace. So the first one is dependence. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We are not going to be able to work in a way that glorifies God in our own efforts. So we start in dependence. That means, well, one of the main ways, is that means prayer. One of the practices that I've been trying to instill in my own life is that when I drive to work in the morning, I'm just praying, God, would you do through me what I cannot do? And what, can you love my coworkers? Like, there is no way that I can love our youth pastor, Daniel, without your divine intervention, right? Just kidding. I love Daniel um, because of Jesus. And number two, <laughs> work with integrity, right? So this means, like, how do we work with integrity? Well, I mean simple things. Be punctual, right? Show up on time. Do what you said you were going to do. Don't slack. Put in a full day's work. Like, work hard. When God says don't steal, for some of us, you know, maybe that means embezzling, like actual company funds, but for most of us, that means that we're not giving the company or the employer or whoever a full day's hard work. Let's not take, let's give. Maybe this means skill, like to use our skill excellently, enthusiastically. If you're flipping burgers, like be the best burger flipper on the line, right? But we don't do this to show off. 
If we're doing this in dependence on God for his glory, we want to point people to our God. And our God doesn't do slipshod work. Look at creation, right? And so to echo him, we do excellent work for his glory. Number four, corporate shaping. Now, this will depend on the influence and the opportunity you have at your job, but how do we help align and communicate with the people around us? Now, this means speaking, but it also means body language. It means tone. And listen, you have an opportunity to be salt and light with people that I don't. Coworkers you're with every day, customers, students, employers, employees. God has given you a unique opportunity to love them, a unique opportunity to speak the truth in love, and unique opportunities to preach the gospel when given opportunity, right? We said the work itself is good, but ultimately, the best way to love somebody is in every way that we act toward them, point them to Jesus, which leads us to number seven, to love, to love. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So this can look like for us at our job, what's the job that nobody wants to do and that you volunteer for? Everyone else is going to think you're a weirdo, right, to volunteer for the hard thing. I remember in Ross's first, our family pastor Ross, first year here on the job, right, next door Wednesday night. I come over there, Ross is scrubbing vomit off the carpet in Sunshine Park because some two-year-old got too happy with a goldfish, right? He's doing the work that nobody else wanted to do and doing it with a smile, right? A half smile, right? How do we love the people? Sometimes loving is simply listening to the people around us. How can we bear the burdens of the people that we're around at our workplace? Just simply listening to their stories, hearing them out. What about our money? How can the money that I earn show that I treasure Jesus more than anything else? See, our, our, our mentality in a capitalist society can easily just be work to earn and then to have. You earned it. It's yours. But we know everything we have is, is stewardship of God's things. So we work to earn, to have, to, the Bible teaches, give away, to invest in many different ways for God's kingdom. So how are we doing that with the money that we get from our job? And then finally, thanks. So the last Sunday in January, uh, we're going to have our next one, and we're going to be building it around this very thought. And so we're going to be bringing people from within our own church just to share some short testimonies and responses to opportunities God gives them in, in their season of work or retirement or whatever it is and, and, and challenges they face and to be able to discuss together, just kind of unpacking some of what we've talked about this morning. We invite you to join us in that. Another specific way we're going to live this out is uh, next Sunday. Many of you know uh, Brother Justin Ruffridge is heading down to Juneau on January 9th. He's going to be representing uh, in the State House uh, one of the areas here locally. And so we just want to pray for him as he goes to be salt and light in his workplace as a disciple of Jesus. So right after second service next week, January 8th, uh, we're going to meet in the back and just anybody who'd like to come around him and his family, uh, just be able to encourage them, send them out with prayer. Another way that we can walk in that. So the charge is to go out tomorrow and work for the glory of God. Monday morning, everybody's favorite time of week, of the week, right? You probably got tomorrow off because it's a holiday. Um, and let's ask our God that as his apprentices of Jesus, how can we help order a few Legos for the glory of God and the good of others? If you close your eyes to pray with me, quiet your heart, I want to spend a, little, a few minutes here before we end in some singing. 
of just of camping on this idea. I just want to pray on our behalf in line with, with our workplaces. So I want to start with Thanksgiving as we ended there. And God, I, I want to thank you for work. I want to thank you that, that your work in creation is good, was good, that you're a good God who creates good things, and that, 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 that your son Jesus, his finished work on our behalf is making the bad things good again. We thank you for your work in creation and in recreation. And we thank you for inviting us into good work as your disciples to build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. No better Father, would you give them the endurance, the wisdom to know how to do that? Father, we, we, we want to pray for those who are working in construction, those working in blue-collar trades, and the beautiful way that just very practically bringing wholeness to a broken world, fixing a broken pipe, fixing broken roofs that are carrying in, ca- caving in, as we saw these last couple of weeks. Just pray that as they work, you give them health and stamina to be able to work the long hours, to do the hard, repetitive jobs that can take a toll on bodies and minds. I want to pray for our slope workers and refinery workers, those working shift schedules. Father, would you give them, uh, just as, as they endeavor to follow you, and they're away from the house half the year or more, would you give them endurance? Would you give them creative ways to be engaged with you and our body, even from afar, with their families? Find Christian brothers and sisters in those spaces to be able to fellowship with. And with their home, that they would be fully present with family, church family, we know that's a hard transition, Lord. So just pray for the whole family in those areas. I want to pray for stay-at-home moms. We know the days can be lonely, and arduous, and tiring. And Lord, you give them the perspective of, of the meaningful work they're doing and training up a child in the way they should go. The men and the women that are staying home with their children. I want to pray for the unemployed. Lord, we know it's, it can be scary not to know how ends are going to be met. Now, food's going to be put on the table. Lights are going to be kept on. What this season will look like. Pray that you would provide jobs, provide work for those people. And not just work, but work that would be meaningful, fruitful, enjoyable. Pray for those who are employers, that they would, that they would employ with justice, kindness, and compassion in the same way that you rule over this world and this universe. Pray for our employees as they submit themselves under these employers that we would do it in a way that's not grumbling and complaining. Not that we're ultimately trusting our employer, but Lord, we're ultimately trusting you as you call us to do and why you call us to submit without fear. Dangerous, Lord. Oftentimes in the mountaintop experiences of prosperity can be our greatest falls. So just to be sober-minded in that. Pray for students. Lord, it's easy to see school as a transition period. Can't wait till I get in the real world, finally get a job, finally graduate, get to the next whatever. Lord, that the, the, the students in our body too would see this season as from your hands, opportunities to learn and grow, to love their classmates, love their teachers, to bear fruit right where they are. Father, I pray for those in retirement phases that are about to be there. Lord, it can be sweet to have more time, but we also know, Lord, there are no seasons that are just for us. So what does this season look like for our retirees to be productive, to make disciples, to be for the benefit of the people around them and for your glory in this season? Would you give them wisdom and stamina and and to be able to do that well? Father, I pray that we may do good, good work as we depend on you, as we're about to sing. 
that unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. We cannot do productive work without your hand, Father. So we depend on you and your grace.